0: Well, I'm going to start. Um, uh, I'm going to start just with a short uh, rant, uh, shockingly enough, and then we will get to the uh, the meat of the matter, which is the questions from the listeners. We've had some excellent suggestions on the board, and I hope that everybody is appreciating the snapping performance of the uh, of the new server, which is doing a mighty fine job of serving up uh, data most rapidly. So uh, that's great. It's a uh, dual core. P4 with two gigs of RAM and 120 gig RAID hard drive, which is uh, sexy for, for geeks and incomprehensible to others. But it's a significant upgrade. Before, we had a quarter of a processor because it was a shared hosting server. We had 384 megs of RAM, and we only had a 10 gig hard drive. So now, 12 times the storage, more than four times the processing, and more than six or seven times the memory we should be set for another month or two. So... Uh, Now that we have uh, moved everything over to the new server, uh, there will be, uh, hopefully, uh, bandwidth will be served that much faster. It'll be a heck of a lot easier for me to compile the stats, which I do from an obsessive uh, self-back-padding, in a self-back-padding way at the end of the month. Right now, we're spread across three different servers, so that is not the easiest thing uh, in the world to compile. So we will hopefully have a better situation in the future to get all this stuff done. So thank you so much for your donations which make this all possible. I did use quite a bit of uh, I spent quite a bit of money, I think 400 bucks or so last month advertising upon stumble upon which actually got a large number of people, about 11,000 to come to Free Domain Radio. So welcome to the new listeners if you have come by. From that and um We'll see. I mean, I don't know what the conversion rate is as yet. We'll see uh, from StumbleUpon whether people actually end up listening. But I'm going to spend, as you know, I have one more one more day of work on Monday, and then I move on to Free Domain Radio full-time, and the list of things to be done uh, is growing. And actually, um, the fabulous, uh, I guess pretty close to web admin now for Free Domain Radio, uh, Mr. Will, Mr. Bill, has uh, set up a... Um, a site where we can put our to-dos in and come up with suggestions and track progress of the things that we are going to do or the things that I'm going to do over the next couple of weeks to make this all run a little bit more toastily. Once I figured out whether StumbleUpon is actually giving us uh, new listeners, then I'll sort of start advertising there again. I just didn't want to advertise too much on StumbleUpon because people were having problems getting the, the podcast because... Um, Some minor stats, uh, I found out there were 11,500 distinct hits on one of our servers uh, last month, uh, which means, I guess, uh, that was the podcast server, so it's at least 11,500 people listening. Uh, I think that the uh, server load is pretty much evenly balanced between the new stuff and the old stuff, so I would guess that we're over 20,000, probably closer to 25,000. And there would probably be about another thousand or so hitting Christina's site, which was the original host for the podcast. So um, that's good. To me, that's very exciting that there are 26,000 uh, people, 25,000 people out there who are very interested in philosophy. I think, and that's one month, right? That's one month. So I think that is very, very good and very exciting. And Christina did a funny. What do we have here?
1: I said that I'm, I'm under Steph again today. <laughs>
0: Well, because it's Sunday, so it's that time of the week. So, Anyway, uh, the video's not running, is it? Should I put pants on? No? Okay. So I wanted to start, there was a, uh, an interesting question. This question has come up before, and I've done a podcast on it, but I'm going to just mention it briefly uh, just to sort of go over it again because there's quite a lot of excitement in libertarian circles about uh, Senor Ron Paul. Eh? And uh, Senor Ron Paul is, uh, did a very exciting job at the debates for the presidential nominees, and uh, people are very excited. And somebody said, well, you know, he's committed to cutting government by 90%, and so we should put our time and energies into helping Ron Paul to get the message out. And I think that it's an important thing to ask or to try and figure out what is the message that Ron Paul is trying to get out. And the message, of course, that Ron Paul is trying to get out is that government is too big. that there's too much violence, that uh, we as slaves are being beaten too often, and that uh, the amount of beatings that we are receiving as slaves should be cut back. And I really don't think that that's a message that's going to work. In fact, I view, I mentioned this on the board, I view libertarianism as a detour away from the truth in the way that agnosticism is a detour away from atheism, which is the sort of logically correct position and the the true position, right? So uh, people want the state to become smaller, and so they head down the road towards libertarianism. And to me, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, as a starting point. I certainly went down that road for many years and found it to be very productive and enjoyable, and it taught me a lot about economics, and it taught me a lot about the state, and it allowed me to become skeptical of authority, and it allowed me to begin to plumb some of the myths that run society, the stories that we are all embedded in oh so violently – and I found it to be a very productive and positive journey for me. I would uh, certainly recommend that you don't spend as long a time as I did in it. And I, you know, From the the uh, from the destination that I arrived at a couple of years ago before I started this show, I wish that I hadn't spent as much time there, but uh, because of my lack of exposure to positive anarchistic thinking, I'd never read any Rothbard, I'd never read uh, any of the other sort of Proudhon, all of the other people who were, I wouldn't say Proudhon's that positive, but... I hadn't really been exposed to any of it, so I had the normal uh, cliched views of anarchism and violent and and Marxist and bomb-throwing and and leftist and all. there was lots of communes and nudity and all that. So, of course, I was drawn to the communes and nudity, but not so much the Molotov cocktails. So, cocktails, yes, uh, Molotov, not so much. So, um, I would suggest that uh, people uh, who are going down the road towards libertarianism, we're doing it because we think that the state should be smaller or the state should be... Uh, more minimal or more controlled or the people should have more control over the state and I think that uh, that's an illusion. Uh, the thing that I think is the worst thing in the world is, the, is something which thinks, uh, gives you the illusion of progress. Something which gives you the ilu- illusion of progress will waste your time and turn your life into ashes and futility. It is much better to know you're not making progress. Right? It's better to know that you're lost than to never check the map. Right? So if you never check the map, you never get anywhere, you never know that you're lost, and you wonder why you never reach your chosen destination. So I would say that uh, it is important not to linger too long in the land of libertarianism. And uh, for people who think that Ron Paul has even the tiniest shred of hope of cutting the uh, federal government, um, all we need to do is look at his own record. And I've posted this question repeatedly uh, to, and, and email, in email responses to people who are fans of Ron Paul. Who email me and say, "Oh no, Ron Paul is uh, is doing great, right? He's gonna he's gonna cut the size of government and this and that, right?" Well, he's what the 17th district of Texas, so I said, "Well, that's very interesting. Perhaps you can tell me whether he's been managed, whether he's managed to cut his local government by 90 percent, and nobody has." Um, well, some guy said, "Well, they keep changing the size of his district. Well, so what? <laughs> he should still be able to cut it by some significant portion." And, of course, he hasn't been able to. So uh, this uh, is an example of, I think, uh, don't waste your time. This is a don't waste your time scenario. Uh, If you do think that um, uh, somebody like Ron Paul is going to go and cut the size of government for you, um, you're completely and totally mistaken. And I don't like to put it that bluntly uh, too often, but uh, I just see a lot of people rushing out there, uh, getting on this bandwagon, and having hope because there's somebody who talks freedom, in Washington, and somebody who talks about abolishing the IRS in Washington. And it is really not a good, uh, a good, um, a good idea to, uh, to follow that particular road. Saying that slavery is a moral evil that should be abolished will win. It will win. It will not win quickly. It will not win quickly, but it will win. The truth, the truth has a power that nothing else can equal. The truth has a power that nothing, nothing, nothing else can equal. No campaign ads, no slogans, no ads. And everybody wants to bypass the truth so that they can have an effect in the world. Everybody wants to not state the truth and to live the truth in their own life. And they want to go campaigning for Ron Paul because they feel, that's how I'm going to have an effect. And that's where we lose many of our best and brightest in this uh, movement. They can't answer the question, or people feel uncomfortable with the question when we talk philosophy. They feel uncomfortable with the question, well, how is this going to change the world? You're just talking. It's all talk. Blah, blah, blah. What are you actually doing to change the world? Well, of course, the answer to that is I'm freeing myself. I'm freeing myself. I am living freedom, and I am passing on freedom to as many people as I can in the most positive way that I can. And that's the only way that it's going to work. That's the only way that it's going to work. There is just no other conceivable possible way that we are going to get rid of things like the government and things like religion. You can't do it through politics. You can't do it through uh, going door to door. You can't do it by designing nice graphics for leaflets that go out in the mail. You can only do it by speaking the truth with uh, courage and with dignity and with strength And with anger, where appropriate, you can only fix the world by speaking the truth. There is no other way that it can ever conceivably occur. The world can only be healed by simple and repetitive and passionate honesty and integrity. The truth is such a silent and powerful weapon that uh, it completely shapes the future. And yes, it feels like we're making no progress at times. And yes, it feels like we're going the wrong direction. And society is going the wrong direction. But that's why we need to stay on the path of just speaking the truth and of living the truth, which means getting bad people out of your life and confronting the people who speak falsely and um, continuing to fight for and speak for the truth. There's just no other way to do it. I mean, the truth is the only thing that will set the species in the world free. Uh, There is no politician who's going to do it. There's no priest. There's no one else but us, we philosophers, who speak the truth. So I would say that uh, to fault the false hope of people like Ron Paul and like the Libertarian Party and so on, and the Objectivist uh, Association, and and just doesn't work. It's a huge distraction. I mean, if I were the government, I would. <laughs> if I were the government and the Libertarian Party did not exist, I would invent it. I would invent the Libertarian Party to draw off people who were getting close to the truth and get them lost in the low mucky tidewaters of political action. And somebody else, just the last thing I'll mention before I go to questions, somebody else had uh, pointed out that uh, they can't believe that we're not banned in China yet. China was the second largest uh, consumer of free Aid radio podcasts last month. So uh, people were sort of acting surprised. Well, not acting surprised, but they were surprised. They got some emails and so on. And people say, well, uh, I'm surprised that they haven't banned you yet. But uh, the great thing about speaking the truth, the great thing about speaking the truth, is that the people who are currently in power aren't frightened of it because they know that it's not going to kick them off. Like we know the the people who are currently in power, they know that we're not going to kick them out. George Bush is not frightened of free domain radio because we're not going to have the effect within his sphere of power. The only time that free domain radio is going to face any political opposition is when the Bush twins listen to it in Difu. <laughs> then we might get some attention from the powers that be or if uh, some communist leader's kid defoes uh, because his uh, parents are evil and uh, that's when my friends we shall have some political attention paid to us but I don't consider that too likely just yet so uh, anyway uh, thanks uh, so much for letting me get that off my chest I hope that was helpful and uh, if you'd like uh, I would be more than happy Christina is manning or personing the booth and uh, she is going to be able to um, uh, get people on who have questions feel free to uh, have them brought in Uh, and uh, the last thing I'd say is that uh, thank you we had the largest single donation for Freedom Aid Radio this last weekend and um, uh, uh, Greg's asked me not to use his name so we'll just say it's a friend of Greg's and uh, uh, thank you thank you, thank you, thank you so much the MP3 gigs uh, is so far we have uh, uh, eight gigs of MP3s. Most of them encoded at 56k, but some of the earlier ones are at 40k, and I haven't gotten around to um, uh, to uh, recompiling them. I'm not so much worried about bandwidth these days, although one of the things that I am planning on doing, of course, is selling the DVD sets or whatever. So, yeah, I know that there's there's already some torrents out there of the first couple of hundred ones, but I'd like to do the DVD set, which is. Uh, all of the videos at uncompressed resolution, uh, all of the uh, audio at uh, high-quality uh, resolution, just so it's, uh, you know, maybe even uh, selected ones in format so you can pop them in a CD or whatever. So, yeah, it's lots of sort of these kinds of things doing uh, that I'd like to uh, sort of get uh, get moving along. So, yeah, high-resolution BCF. It's important to see uh, every single freckle. I think that without that, you're just not getting the biodome of thought that it's free-domain radio. So. I can Easter egg the Queen's socks. <laughs> kind of a rotten egg, but yes, I certainly do appreciate the thought. <laughs> it's great. All right. So if we have uh, any questions, uh, if you are, welcome back to some people I can see here who have not been around for a while. Thank you so much for rejoining this conversation. I'm sure you have been listening as we go forward. But uh, if you have questions or comments, um, feel free to voice them now or... I can go uh, to the questions that were posted on the board and uh, read those off. So I'll just give people a moment to gather their thoughts and click on the "Ask from Mike" button, uh, request microphone, or whatever the hell it's called in the various versions of uh, of Skype. So there's a band out there whose lead singer is channeling Freddie Mercury. You tell me, brother. I would love to uh, listen to a singer as good as uh, Freddie Mercury. Mika, oh, very interesting. I miss uh, old Freddie. There's just nobody who can uh, who can sing quite like him. Uh, I don't know that there will be again for quite some time. All right. Well, I will go to uh, the um, the questions that came up for the Sunday Calling show that were posted on the board. One gentleman wanted to talk about sex, and that's totally fine with me. I'm more than happy to talk about sex. Um, but um, and of course, I think an FDR MySpace is a great idea. So. Uh, Whoever wants to um, uh, get involved with the um, Freedom Aid Radio MySpace would be fantastic. And uh, let me just double check here if anybody else has any questions. All right. So we have another question which came up on the boards. I'll read this uh, from a gentleman who posted it. Steph, I'd like to hear your thoughts on procrastination and the romanticizing of ideas to put them in the realm of fantasy, unattainable, to justify not doing them, subconsciously of course, I'm sure this ties into the false self. This may not be the same thing, but it seems a common habit for people to be very involved in the setup of a pursuit, like buying a bunch of ridiculous running gear and then never going running, or using the excuse of not having a bunch of running gear to not go running. When said person expresses the desire to do something, why is it so easy to get caught up in the excuses and the setup? Is the desire false? or simply a motivation problem? If I romanticize writing a book, I am, am I basically dooming myself into never finishing, or doing it because of my false self perspective? Well, I think that is a wonderful, wonderful question. And I do believe that there is a, uh, a very common phenomenon that occurs with people in terms of getting things done. And procrastination, of course, is a, is a huge problem. Uh, for everyone, I mean, everybody procrastinates. And uh, my initial uh, clever self-manipulation in this realm was to say, "Well, okay, I'm bad at getting things done. I'm going to procrastinate. If I could just find a way to put off my procrastination till later, till later, I would actually get things done now." But that didn't work too well. So, so um, the question of getting things done. And the size of the goal, and if I understand the listener's question in detail, then it's that that I set up these enormous goals that I know I'm never going to get done, and I neither let go of the ideals, nor do I actually achieve them. Well, I take a sort of simple approach to this kind of stuff, and it may be too simple, so you can certainly let me know what you think. Uh, I just say uh, give it up. I just say give up. I'm very much one for, like, just give up. If you've had a goal, say you know, uh, for um, I, I dated a girl once who was uh, wanted to be an actress. She wanted to be an actress to the point where she got—I mean, she had perfectly healthy teeth, but there was slight—I don't know—there was a slight crook or gap or something like that. And she met a woman on a plane who was an agent. She was a stewardess, and she met a woman on a plane who was an agent. And this woman said uh, she chatted with this woman, and the woman said, "Oh well, you know, you've, you, you're a pretty girl. You got a good look." Uh, certainly, if you're interested, you've got some of the raw materials that would be required for, you know, ensure you'd be photogenic and so on. And so this woman ended up going to get her, her, she wore braces, like painful braces for like a year to straighten up her teeth. And that was her sort of sole uh, movement in the direction of becoming an actress. Now, I thought she would actually have been a good actress. She was very funny, very quick-witted, um, and very intelligent, and very verbally skilled, a lot of things, uh, and quite emotional. A lot of these things are not bad in the realm of acting but uh, having had some experience within the acting community having taken two years of theater school training and and acted in various plays and directed and so on I couldn't help but uh, say to her at one point well it might actually help if you took some acting classes or got involved in amateur theater or did some you know community stuff or anything like that like but she had this goal that she uh, put ahead of herself. She's like, okay, well, my my teeth are fixed in a year. I'm going to call this woman and I'm going to go and meet with her, and then I'm going to start to be an actress. And this, of course, just had doom written all over it. And I've known a number of women um, and men too. I just, you know, I've dated more women. Um, I've known a number of women who have these these big goals. Like I want to be a filmmaker. I want to write a book. I want to do co- I want to do stand up comedy, and they have these big. Goals, and there's no particular methodology uh, for achieving them. Now, this is a, a weird combination of stuff. I'll sort of give you my thoughts on it, and then you can certainly share what you like. And just to finish up the story with the stewardess I dated um, so the year was up, and she got her braces taken off, and her teeth looked fine. And lo and behold, she went to go and talk to this, um, this woman that, who she still had the number and the woman said well your teeth are great sure uh, have have you have you done any acting <laughs> right and so um the woman said no, no i i haven't done any acting but do you want to see my teeth from a different angle and it's like well it's not a freaking tooth commercial right <laughs> i mean you're supposed to bare your soul not your ivories when you are a um uh, an actor so the question comes up, what, what did she have this for, right? What did she have this for? And the question also comes up, who could she have been if she didn't spend a year of her life waiting to be an actor? And those things are very, very important. And you, um, uh, you can't uh, easily talk people out of what they conceive to be their dreams. And I, I very much enjoy being a dream crusher, uh, but it's uh, it's a delicate operation for sure because you can um, you can easily provoke people's rage and aggression, right? When you try to crush their fantasies, and I, but I think it's very important uh, to uh, to have your fantasies crushed, right? So um, I don't know, like I, <laughs> if I said, well, yeah, I'm going to work as a software executive for a while, but uh, I really want to get the lead in the Nutcracker. And, uh, I don't know, I posted some videos of me dancing. Well, okay, I mean, I can do a lot of ballet stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I took some dance in theater. That's about it. But um, uh, there, it would just be ridiculous. And the, the waste of people's time and energy and resources, right, is just insane. It's just insane. And it goes all the way through levels of society, right? People have fantasies that the government can solve the problem of poverty or the problem of ignorance or the problem of, of, of war, Right, So they, they wait for the government to achieve these things. They wait, and they beg, and they cajole, and they write letters, and they want the government to achieve X, Y, and Z, which is exactly the same at a much more despicable level uh, of this woman who just thought, well, uh, if I get my teeth fixed, I'll be an actress. And she's waiting, and she's waiting, and she's waiting. And of course, part of this waiting comes from you know, waiting for your parents to love you, waiting for those around you to take an interest in you, waiting for those around you to treat you well. Uh, Waiting, waiting, waiting. Right. So procrastination is just a form of waiting. And there's lots of ways that we get habituated into waiting when we're young. Of course, we have to wait all the time when we're kids for anything interesting to happen in school. Uh, We have to wait for affection. We have to wait, wait to treat well. And we wait. We do wait. There's a part of us that just waits for all of this kind of stuff. And... I just think that it's a really, really terrible idea. People like to say, well, I'm really interested in being an actor. Or maybe, it, maybe it makes them sound interesting, or, you know, gee, I've always wanted to write a book, and, and so on. And uh, uh, I can't remember who said this, but it's something that always stuck with me, because I guess I wrote my first book when I was 23. Actually, no, that's not true at all. <laughs> I wrote a, my first science fiction novel when I was, oh, Lord, 14, 13 or 14. And then I wrote another book when I was... Well, I wrote a whole bunch of plays throughout my teenage years and my poetry and so on. And I wrote another book when I was 19, 18, 17. Uh, six, I wrote a book when I was 16, a book when I was 17, a book when I was 21. Then I finally wrote Revolutions when I was 24, which I thought was good and uh, worked to to move that one out. And so somebody said, uh, some writer said, and I think it's a good way of, of putting it. He said, you know, oh, I'm always coming up, uh, people always coming up to me and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I've always really wanted to write a book. And he said, well, it's just a load of nonsense. If you want to write a book, it'll never happen. If you have to write a book or you can't sleep, if you have to write a book or you can't live with yourself, if you have to write a book or it feels like someone's pushing you off a cliff, then maybe you will get to write a book, but you don't get to do it by just wanting to do it. And so my concern is that when people have these ideas, I want to write a book, I want to... Do this. I want to do. This. They're totally missing out on what they could be doing if their false self was not giving them these goals that stymie them and stultify them. Right? Letting go of, of dreams uh, and dream crushing is something that I've had to do with my own life, totally repetitively. Right? So, I was going to be a, 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 an actor, and I had to crush uh, that dream, you know, strangle it like a boa constrictor. Then. I was going to be um, a director, and I had to crush that dream. And then I was going to be an academic, and I had to crush that dream. Uh, most recently, um, I was going to be a business executive. Well, actually, was a business executive. And I had to crush that dream um, so that I can release what is, in fact, uh, a better life for me and a more important life for me. If I was still hanging around, let's not even get started on the singing thing. If I was, um, if I was still hanging around trying to achieve all these other things, I wouldn't be doing this. I would not be doing this. So the important thing, I think there's a couple of ways that you can help determine a fantasy from uh, from uh, uh, from imagination. Imagination is good. Fantasy is, is bad. Imagination is extended and rooted in the richness of reality. Fantasy is some alternate universe where up is down and black is white, and it, there's no air, but you don't die. It's a, it's a horrible universe. Uh, first of all, uh, where does the impulse come from uh, for the dream that you have? Where does the impulse come from? Is it because you love to do it? Right. I thought I would love acting, and I wasn't bad at it, but I just didn't like acting, and I sure as hell didn't like the people in the theater world. They were just all mad as hatters, and shallow and, and backstabby, and ugh, just, just nasty, nasty people. Um, I thought I would like academics, and I really did enjoy the research, and I really did enjoy putting together logical arguments and so on. But I found that uh, professors and the people in the academics world, uh, nasty, backstabby, you know, just just not not pleasant people. And then I turned to, uh, to writing, but I found that agents were a bunch of, uh, well, <laughs> agents weren't productive for me to be working with, let's say. Uh, lots of promises and no action. Uh, and then I thought, uh, well, you know, business executive, I uh, really like the business world and so on, but, uh, you know, the people are uh and no saner in the business world than right? there's no there's no sane people except for I think the work that we're trying to do here. So uh, I think that um, uh, I think it's important to say, well, where does the impulse come from? I mean, I have no doubt whatsoever that if I can make this full time freedom domain radio thing work, that it'll be the permanent gig for the rest of my life. And uh, Christina will need like four crowbars, sturdy crew, and a candle prod to get me uh, uh, out of my couch. Uh, when I'm, quote, thinking about Free Domain Radio. And uh, why, why is that? Well, because I love to do it. I love to do it. I love to do it. I get such a high and such a thrill out of getting this stuff uh, done. And uh, when I'm doing it, I'm not doing it in order to do something else. Right? When I'm doing Free Domain Radio, it is complete in itself. There's nothing else that I would rather be doing that I can do on camera Other than what it is that I'm doing in the moment. So if you talk about your goals, like, yeah, I really want to write a book or whatever, then that's not uh, a self-generated motivation. That's, you know, it would be cool to write a book that would help the world. Well, sure, absolutely. But that's like me saying it would be great to invent a cure for cancer. Sure, uh, but so what, right? (laughs) I mean, unless I'm actually going to school, to learn something about uh, biochemistry or whatever it is that would be <laughs> involved in a cure for cancer, then it's just it's idle talk, right? It's idle talk. It's like uh, my parents are good or, you know, <laughs> it's obey my dream turtle, right? <laughs> so uh, I would say that um, uh, if, it's, if it's something that is generated from within you, that when you're doing it, you're doing it because there's nothing else that you'd rather be doing in that moment. So if you say, well, I'd like to write a book, or I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that, you just have to work empirically. And I very clearly remember the conversation that I had with a friend of mine when I finally realized that I didn't want to be an actor, when I preferred to write and to think, because I said, you know, i have just sort of thinking back over the last year. I had left theater school because I didn't really like the people, and I really didn't feel comfortable there. It was a very emotionally volatile and difficult place, way too much like my family, so... I'd left theater school, but I was still heavily involved in, in acting. I was doing, um, I was playing Macbeth and uh, at uh, McGill and so on. So I was still heavily involved in acting. And I took the role uh, of the doctor in The Elephant Man, Anthony Hopkins' role in the movie. And, oh, man, I sucked. Oh, I just sucked. I actually didn't really like the play. Uh, but I took the role because it was a lead and I was vain. And uh, I remember I was talking to the director and I said, you know, I've just sort of been thinking about this, and I'll, I'll finish the play, right? I mean, I'll do the play, and I'll continue to try and do not to a job that sucks as bad as I've been doing it, and I ended up doing okay in the end. But I said, you know, when I get home, uh, or when I get back to, at the end of classes, at the end of rehearsal, I don't sit there and work on accents. I don't sit there and, and work on monologues. Uh, when I get back to what it is that I ha- – when I have free time, what do I do? Well, I read about philosophy. I read about economics. I think, and I write. So you can work really empirically from your life to find out what's important to you. You don't have to just figure it out all within your own head. What is it you actually do when you don't have to do anything? What is it you actually do when you don't have to do anything? That is the physics of your future. That is where you should be moving towards. Uh, Another way to tell it is, are you taking tangible steps to achieve it other than just getting teeth straightening or whatever? Are you taking tangible steps to achieve it? So I was interested in being an actor. And so I applied for and got into the National Theatre School of Canada, which is not easy. They take like 1% of people who apply. So I was taking steps towards it, and thank heavens I did. Because if you're not taking steps towards it, then it's not something that you're actually doing. People have every right to impose the same empirical scientific standards on your dreams that we do on the government, that we do on God, that we do on the family virtue, that we do on everything. What is it you're actually doing? Not what do you say you want to do and what is it you're actually doing. Procrastination can swallow decades of your life. A dream that you could do X, Y, and Z, which remains untested by application, can not only swallow up decades of your life, but also it can prevent you from doing what you really want to do. And this is the false self thing. The false self thing will, will be, I want to do that which is going to make me rich, that which is going to make me famous, that which is going to make people envy me, that which is going to make, when I walk into the party, everyone's going to go, ooh, that's such and such. He does X, Y, and Z, right? That's the false self. We'll look for external validation for what it is we should be doing with our time and energies. And the true self uh, doesn't, right? So you end up with this ambivalence, right? The false self says, here's your goal. You're going to go do X, Y, and Z. But the true self says, eh, not so much. Right. So procrastination is just ambivalence about what it is that you want to do, which is really uh, that you have a good motive for not doing it and a bad motive for doing it. And the good motive won't win and the bad motive won't let go. And so you end up stuck. That's my particular take on it. Were there any other questions that came up then? I didn't randomly answer. Are they starting to talk about something else? (laughs) Okay, good. Ooh, look, the history of Spain. Interesting. (laughs) Was there another question that came up? I wonder if Stefan wears a dark hooded robe when he crushes dreams executioner style. Yeah, I should say probably the, the fantasy crusher is what well. I mean that's perhaps the better the better uh, World Wrestling Federation tag for me. The Fantasy Crusher Crusher Crusher. Hello. You are on. Oh, hello. Hey, how's it going?
2: (laughs) Not too bad. Um, I didn't quite get myself together yet. But uh, in in the realm of romanticizing ideas, uh, like you said, if you want to write a book, um, it it might not be what you're doing, and so it's probably like a false self kind of thing. Now you're saying something about other people around you, um, getting validation from other people around you, like that's a good idea. Um, No, no, I didn't say that, that,
0: but that's a good idea, but but go on with your question.
2: Okay, well, is that not what you meant? Because that's where I was going. Uh, I wonder, the people who go around, you know, saying the things that they want to do, and it's mostly just summed up to talking to other people about it, um, and getting, you know, uh, feedback,
0: and that's basically where it ends. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with sharing your ideas with people and so on, but if the idea of what it is that you want to do uh, ends up, um, if you're sort of doing it because you think it's cool or it gets you attention or you think it would be a good thing to do or you'd feel proud of having done it or all of those things which are all effects of having done something, if you're really interested in the effects of having done something, then you're putting the course before the effect or you want the unearned. And that means you're going to get stuck trying to do something which is never going to work out. So if you say, well, you know, if I did write a book that changed the world, man, I could get late. Or something like that. I could really, all the groupies on the of course, that's how close I am to the Rockwell. That's what I think of, not necessarily writing a hit song. But if you say, I want the effects of this particular achievement, and everybody has those dreams, you know, like I'm going to go and sing in front of 10,000 people, whatever it is that, that's your particular kick, right? But what you want is the cheering, and what you want is this, and, you know, and all the, the fame and the signatures and so on, then you want the effects. You don't want the thing itself and that's going to force your true self to say, no, that's a shallow and what thing to do. Just the approval.
2: Yeah, it's kind of hard to hear your stuff, and you're breaking off pretty
0: badly. Hmm. All right. <laughs> Let me uh, close down this other computer, although it's not actually using the Internet at all. Is that, uh, is that any better?
2: Yeah, yeah, I can hear you good now.
0: All right.
2: I um, Also, uh, I think the others might find this interesting. Um, I I was reading a a blog by this guy named Disky. He's kind of a relativist, but he he had uh, on the topic, it was about giving up, how life is about giving up, where he had been at a Christmas party, and someone who was pursuing a professional career playing guitar had become a business guy, and um, wondering why he didn't keep pursuing that and the guy had said um, that basically, you know, life was about giving up things and uh, I'll give the link for everyone else, but it's a pretty neat perspective on it. It kind of goes with, with what you're saying. So even though how you said crush dreams, but let's say you're doing something that, um, let's say you're you're into, let's say you are writing short stories. Now in the act of, of giving it up, let's say, um, sorry, i and drawing a blank. Take your time. Silence is uncomfortable. No problem. <laughs> I'll just mention that
0: I must say that I really enjoyed your description of the blog writer. He's sort of a relativist. Right. It's a perfect description. <laughs> He's sort of a relativist. I think. Just I, I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed that uh, that particular description. Oh, you're welcome. Now the guy, the guy who gives who, who's saying about his uh, guitar playing that life is about giving things up. Well, the question is, what is he giving up? Because everything in life is is uh, sacrifice, and everything in life is compromise, and everything in life is. This is the basis of economics. Everything that you're doing excludes everything else that you could be doing right i mean you could be i don't know trying to burrow through uh through somebody's backyard right now but instead uh you're you're talking to me right so everything that you do excludes everything else that you do and the question is always is it is it worth it for you like is it is it really worth it to you and as as i've mentioned on the show once before or maybe twice i'll just mention it very briefly here in case you haven't heard that one um when I was uh, about 24 or so, I was out of theater school, still thinking about acting and uh, still doing some, some plays and so on, and I went for dinner with um, uh, my brother, and he, um, he had some business people in from town, and I was sitting there with this, this guy, and he was saying, oh, what is it that you do? And I said, well, I, I act, and I do this and that, and he's like, oh, it's interesting, my brother's an actor. And I said, oh, it's okay. Well, what's, what's the story? What's his story? He said, oh, you know, it's a... I mean, he's had a cool life, but it's it's tough, right? He said, the guy's 35. He's been living in New York for the last 10 years, and he's been getting some roles, like some off-Broadway stuff, and he's got some commercials, and he's kind of got enough to, to get by. But he said, now he's he's met this woman, and he wants to settle down, and he doesn't have any savings, right? He doesn't doesn't have any job skills. Uh, He doesn't have a career, doesn't have a profession, doesn't really have any education other than theater. And, you know, he's got another 30 years to go in his working life. And that, to me, just was too scary for words. And I I really think that given my level of innate talent, that would have been where I ended up. That was sort of my guess, right? That's sort of what my my true self sent up this flare of terror (laughs) about the future, which I wisely, I think, chose to, to heed. And, of course, if I had pursued... Uh, acting then I wouldn't be doing this, right I 'd be I don't know doing math or something. So I think that uh, it's a question of the risks that you're willing to take uh, to pursue your your profession. Um, so this guy, I mean, very few people are going to pay you to, to, to play guitar, right I mean it's, it's, I just I know someone in the music biz, and, and he says the same thing all the time. he says it's all about the song. Good singers, great singers, or a dime a dozen. Great guitar players, they're like falling out of the rafters. But the one thing that is really rare is is to write a great song. A song that, you know, makes people hum and sing and and get into it, and and energy and whatever, whether it's dark energy or light energy or whatever. To write a really great song is really, really difficult, and that's the rare skill. So what is he giving up? I mean, obviously, there's a million people on YouTube who you can watch them play great guitar for free. The sound isn't great, but Very few people are going to just come and watch you play guitar. So what is he giving up? Is he giving up the dream that people will come and watch him play guitar? uh, Or is he giving up the dream that he's ever going to write a hit song? I mean, how many songs has he written? How much has he tried to, you know, has he done the whole cafe circuit? And did he spend uh, years and years of his life touring, right? I mean, that's how it usually starts out, at least until the manufactured Biosphere boy bands from the Big Bats in South America came along. Uh, you know, Queen, uh, Freddie Mercury lived in like a moldy, like a room with mold hanging off the walls for a couple of years. Uh, they released like three albums before they hit big, right? So it was like five or seven years where these highly educated guys, right? The guitarist was doing his PhD in astrophysics, and Freddie was getting a doctorate in gay. And uh, so <laughs> these guys were really, really focusing on this band thing. And if it worked out, that's great. And if it didn't work out. It, it costs them, you know, like a million bucks a piece in lost earnings and having to catch up. And you know, the the world is full of people who started out as uh, band members and ended up as roadies. Right? It's not a it's a risky, risky thing to do. And so, what is this guy giving up? He's giving up maybe the dream of of being a guitarist, but he's also giving up a life of uncertainty, of of uh, of, of being around people who do a lot of drugs, frankly, of not having very intelligent conversations, uh, of 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 traveling all the time. I mean, I was interested in stand-up, but I just did not want a life where I was going to be on the road for 11 months a year. That just seemed like a complete nightmare to me. So you give up, but you gain. Yeah, somebody said Freddie Mercury's got the PhD. PhD, Very true. I like to think that um, I've at least got a GED in that. (laughs) i don't know how i got it but uh just something to do with the accent and and boarding school i think yeah you're british everybody who's british i mean we get an elementary education in this anyway i don't know how all right did you have any other questions was there anything else you wanted to mention
2: no that sums it up pretty good thanks stuff i appreciate it
0: no problem great to chat with you i think you're a first-time caller right
2: no, I called us a few weeks ago about um, I think it is about the relationship
0: oh, relationship issue
2: right.
0: right, 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 right. How's that going? Oh, it's going very nice. Good, good, very okay. good. very good. <laughs> keep us posted. keep us posted. Will do Thanks, think stuff? Thanks. Uh, is uh, If anyone else has any other questions or, or issues or problems for either Christina or myself, I need to take another bite of pizza, so feel free to have a lengthy speech. Well, now my dreams are crushed. Oh, listen, uh, if your dreams are crushed, could you hold them up to your speakers? Oh, I love that smell. Oh, oh yeah, it smells like freedom. <laughs> he just posted an icon of his heartbreaking. Oh, that's tasty. It's like burgers. <laughs> now, what what is also interesting that happens, for me at least in terms of personal motivation, are the things that are very, very interesting to me at, at some points in my life, that sometimes like then I just lose the motivation for them, and that really is quite an interesting transition. And that, I think, has a lot to do with this whole question of the false self or the true self. Because the false self will give up on things the moment that... The false self will give up on two things, right? Two, two, two things will cause the false self to, to give up on a particular um, goal. The first is that the false self may at some point realize that um, instead of getting praise, you're getting marked, right? Or, or, or you're getting indifference. And the false self lives for social approval, right? That's the scar tissue, right? That we have to live on the physics of other people's emotions and whims rather than reality itself. As I sort of posted on the board, I was having a chat with Christina this morning, and I was saying that conformity to reality is sanity. Conformity to the opinions of others is slavery, and that's the true self-false-self distinction, at least for me. But when the false self no longer believes that it will get praised for something, then the motivation to do it just goes poof, like vanishes completely. But the other thing that occurs is um, if the false self is putting forward a particular goal for you, that is based on you know bad motivations or or silly uh, criteria vanity or whatever how how good it would look to receive the oscar rather than i love the process of acting then the uh, what what else will cause the false self to spitefully give up on the dream is if you confront the person on it and i've had more conversations than i would care to mention in this realm where i finally do sort of confront people on their false self dreams and uh I mean, they hate you for it. (laughs) I mean, they really do. They hate you for it. I mean, it's a good way to get yourself um, a tasty and active new enemy is just to confront someone on on their dreams and their lack of progress towards them. Um, Because, I mean, I've always been sort of pragmatic around this. I tend to rush full tilt at everything, which usually I'll, I'll either break through or there'll be a horrible bald splat as I hit the wall. But at least then I won't keep running at it. I tend to, as you can probably tell from the volume of the podcast, when I think that something is good for me, I will go full tilt boogie at it, uh, and, um, because I want to find out if it's the right thing for me to do or not, and so I tend to go full tilt boogie at it, and that tends to either get me in or get me out, but I guess relatively quickly, um, relatively quickly. So.
1: All oh, right there, David has a question that he would like to ask, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to give him the mic. Okay, David, I think you're on. Oh. oh,
0: all right, Mr. D. Hello. Hello. Uh, can you hear me? I sure can.
3: Excellent. Um, I was um, in a therapy session uh, with my therapist uh, last week, and I talked about my uh, the letter that I wrote um, to my father. Uh, if you remember that. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, the, in the end, when I when I said uh, talking started talking about how I wanted to, um, I was thinking that maybe this is something I shouldn't send, and this is uh, something that I really shouldn't really have to. Um, I should feel free to to leave my father, or uh, if I if that's what I felt was right. And what the the therapist said was uh, something she brought up something interesting uh, that I had never heard of. Um, that, uh, is apparently becoming popular. Um, and the idea, I, I mentioned the, the rape analogy that you made, um, that, you know, you don't, you don't show the the rapist your soft underbelly. You don't tell the rapist what makes you happy because then they're going to, you know, use it against you. Uh, and she said, well, actually, one of the things that, one of the interesting things that's coming about recently is that, um, therapists are actually telling their, uh, Therapists are telling their their patients uh, who have been rape victims to go and confront their their rapists and say what you did hurt me and uh, and hopefully get them to change.
1: Can I comment on that? Um, it's actually quite interesting. I've heard, I've heard quite the opposite. Being in the profession, that um, the the trend is not to go and confront it because it's sort of a, a reabusing, a, a sort of a, a revictimization. And as a therapist, not to not to get the client to um, to go there, sort of psychologically and mentally, even in the session, because it is uh, recreating the trauma. I don't think I necessarily agree with that completely and wholeheartedly i think there is some value in, in 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 re-experiencing some of it for very different reasons than i think has traditionally been uh the case but it's very interesting i'm um interested to hear more about uh, about this um i've never <laughs> yeah i mean do you know what you... did your therapist give you any references or suggest the theory behind this uh
3: not really and i i didn't dig too far into it it, it seemed a little absurd to me and um uh, I didn't I didn't confront her on it. Uh it was towards the end of the session anyway. Um but it did strike me as a little uh a little effed up, uh to, to, to use the technical term.
0: Um, you can say fudged. It's okay, we're on the internet. Oh thank, thank God. Oh not, not him. No, you can't say God. <laughs> you can say fudged
3: <laughs> So yeah, I I didn't I didn't it didn't strike me as something that was terribly healthy to do, uh, it, and I, I don't know um, if this is something that she regularly recommends, but I, I think this is a, a sign that I should not be seeing her for too much longer.
1: I would think that having you know to, to recommend to someone that you should go and confront your rapist—I mean, that is absolutely the worst possible thing that you would you could do to someone. I mean, this person is dangerous. This person can be violent. This person has—you uh, know—I mean, it just it would just make no sense to me at all whatsoever.
0: Well, oh, if, oh my, uh, yeah. My, my, and what? If, my sorry, to my... interrupt. I'm sorry to sure. interrupt, but what if the rapist says, "Yeah, she's cuter than I remember"? What
3: well, I think the up? idea would be that to have it in a in a like a safe environment, sort of like a um, the rapist and uh, and the victim and the therapist would get together and have
1: this. Oh my god no absolutely not i would never ever ever condone that i would never allow a rapist in my office to to atone for for abusing someone absolutely not the rapist needs to be in jail not in the therapist's office
0: i'm sorry i'm I'm trying to read between the lines are you for it or against it um no i mean the other uh, it's not so much that that the therapist would send off you know the, the the woman who'd been raped to some Rapist dungeon or whatever, but if the rapist, uh, the rapist may know where she lives, the rapist may know her name, the rapist probably does know her name. So if the rapist could, could re engage with this woman, because the rapist now knows that he has power over this woman, and how does he know that he has power over this woman? Because she's coming to confront him. So she needs something from him. I don't know if this is some imaginary thing whereby you become empowered by going to confront someone, but When you go to confront someone, you are not coming from a position of strength. That's sort of what I was trying to get at in that podcast, probably fairly obliquely. You're not coming from a position of strength when you go to confront someone. You're coming from a position of weakness. I need to confront you. My salvation, my mental health relies on me confronting you and your response in some manner. right? So the woman goes to the rapist. If the point is that she confronts him directly then she must need something from him that he can bring to the interaction, right? Otherwise, she'd do it to a chair pretending that it was the rapist or she'd write a letter in the way that you did. So it would make no sense to have a live interaction with the rapist unless the woman needed something from the rapist, something that he would provide or not provide and would prefer that he provide it and feel very unhappy if he didn't provide it, which is exactly the definition of giving someone power over you
3: yeah that's that's what i thought and uh it's certainly her opinion on that was was not something I was going to take too seriously
0: um but so so it's not it's not a common practice at all is it i, I certainly never heard of it christina hasn't either but to to return to your situation, what do you think that she was uh, why do you think she brought this up
3: um, I'm not sure uh, it kind of reminded me of of what um um the the letter about being uh my letter being and your response being sort of the the woman was talking about um family therapy uh uh, methodology um the idea that um temporary breaks are okay with your family but not but not uh, a long-term uh eternal break and i think that she that she was worried that i would um be leaving my, my, uh, my, my, my parents for for real. Uh, and I, I don't know if that spooked her or if that wasn't something that she was uh, comfortable with and that's why she uh, brought up the, the rape reconciliation thing.
0: Well, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think that um, it's pretty clear that there's a great deal of anxiety that uh, defooing provokes in other people, right? If you say, I do not want to spend time with people who abuse me, whether I dropped out of the hole of my mom from the sperm of my dad 30 years ago, doesn't mean anything to me because there's no moral quality in having sex and having babies. It's a biological um, phenomenon. There's no moral nature in it whatsoever. In fact, the power that it gives people over children usually corrupts whatever is left of their decency and and turns it into a hellish manifestation. So when you say, uh, I am not going to see my parents, and, and people get shocked. At that or they feel like that's something that, that should be opposed or so that's something where oh you're just saying that or oh you're just upset or well okay maybe they're bad and you know maybe they broke your leg and maybe while your leg is broken and they keep swinging their baseball bats while your leg is actually broken you you can take some time out get a cast on and heal your leg but then you've got to go right back in there which of course makes no sense at all right I mean if if, uh, if somebody's breaking your leg repeatedly the important thing is to not just take a break so your leg can heal and then go back and get your leg broken. <laughs> it mean, doesn't make any sense, right? And I bet you uh, that uh, this, uh, people would not say this uh, about women who were being uh, physically abused, right? Uh, and it would be interesting. I mean, I, I wouldn't ask your therapist this, but it would be interesting to ask yourself about this with regards to your therapist because you don't want to give your therapist free therapy on your dime, right? But um, the question is, would you give this advice if I were a woman who was being beaten by my husband regularly? Would you say you can't leave him? You maybe can have a short separation while your wounds heal, but then you have to go right back in. And if not, why not?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's a a, a counselor uh, through the university, so I, I don't I don't pay for her, but it's certainly my time that she's that
0: she's taking up. Well, and has she been helpful in in other areas? I mean, therapists don't always have to be perfect. Oh. Uh, in every area to help you in other areas.
3: Oh yeah, I, I never would have gotten to the point where I was ready to write that letter if I hadn't been been talking to her. I I thought that my problem was uh, on the maternal side and not, not with my father. So she, she's been really helpful in a lot of things. Just she dropped the ball on this one, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and it is a uh, because it is such a powerful cultural phenomenon. This. Um, uh, the worship of ancestors, right? I mean, this is a, we, we laugh about this in some sort of the, in the Shinto uh, religion or the Japanese culture that they worship their ancestors. Uh, we do that, why? Right? We just we just don't wait till they're dead, right? So there is this fetishistic worship of the parents, right? Which is the scar tissue of having been brutalized and frightened. Uh, so uh, it's a very very common thing in our culture to just worship parents, and parents are the templates for governments and gods, as we've always talked about. So um, it, it is hard. Uh, for people to to give up on that, in the same way that it's hard for people to finally give up on God, right? So people want to do agnosticism, they want to do deism, they want to not talk about it, they they just, they won't crush that fantasy, right? There's always some fantasy that's tough to crush in people, and uh, it's, it's it, the parental virtue one uh, is really, really Uh, fundamental. And I I I do sort of generally believe uh, as a whole that it's, I mean, obviously it's a Christian hangover in in terms of the sacrifice to the authority figures, both the priests and and God and so on. But more fundamentally, I think it comes out of religion insofar as what I really get at the age of of 40, what I really get is that I'm not going to live forever. What I really get is that since I don't believe that there's any conceivable form of consciousness after death, right that I go <laughs> the voices in my head go out <laughs> just as much as when the battery runs out on your radio, right? It's not like they've gone elsewhere. there's just no energy or electricity left to run them. And I really get that every day that I spend with difficult, negative or abusive people is not a day that I'm going to get tacked onto some paradise later on. There's no reward for suffering. There's no reward for suffering, except when you go to the dentist, right? So given that I don't believe in an afterlife, for me, it is just a net negative sacrifice to spend time with difficult or abusive people. And I really think that people say, well, you should suffer through it. In some ways, whether they're religious or not, I think unconsciously because they vaguely believe that there's some reward out there or that it's going to be made up for you in some karmic manner or or something like that, but if they really do get that, that the number of days that we have on this planet are fixed, and we don't even know how many there are, or the number of days we have on this planet are fixed, and every day that we spend being abused is just a net negative, and we don't get anything back later, we don't get any reward, uh, we don't get any payback, there's no justice after death, and I think if you get that, then you get, well, why would I spend one more day? Uh, then I would have to, given that my days are finite, and there's no reward for this suffering.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I think it's so funny that, that she, she maybe she let me get to this point where I'm like, okay, well, maybe maybe my father's not the best person. Maybe he was actually kind of a bad person. And then said, well, you can't really leave him.
0: Right, and what she—that's projection, right? What she's saying is, I can't yeah. leave mine. Right. Right. A lot of people in the healing profession need healing themselves. A lot of people who are in the healing professions are there because they need to be healed themselves. Uh, This is true of nurses. This is true of psychologists, of of social workers, very damaged people. uh, But rather than confront their own damage, they become sort of, quote, healers towards other people. And I'm not saying anything about your therapist because I don't know her. But certainly uh, in this particular instance, her own scar tissue overwhelmed what should have been a much better interaction. Because she should not impose her values on you. right? Fundamentally, therapy is about you learning about yourself. She should not be telling you what to do. That's my job. <laughs> no, she should not be telling you what to do. She should just be saying choices, consequences, and she should be exploring your feelings about not seeing your father. She should not be telling you about rape victims and going to confront rape Rapists. Uh, this is not her job. like right? This is this is a complete professional break. This is not what she should be doing. Yeah, yeah, I agree.
3: It sounds
0: uh, like that, you're that was all. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, good, <laughs> thanks. I appreciate that. Do keep us posted, and 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 you know, really, thank you, thank you, thank you again so much for posting. Uh, that letter i've had a number of communications about how helpful uh, it was for people so thank you i'm i'm really glad i could
3: i could help uh could help other people <laughs> uh, cuz i've you know been helped so much uh through this stuff
0: good stuff well listen uh, i really appreciate it it's this kind of uh you know real real honesty uh, dare i say uh, bold openness that uh that really is going to make a difference <laughs> so all,
3: all right. right thank you oh, very I'm, much i'll,
0: I'll go pull, back to listening uh, Okay, thank you again. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, uh, look for the next person in the queue. If uh, you have any other sort of questions, issues, or comments, move to listening. That's right. Is there anyone else who wants to talk to me? You, maybe, honey? <laughs> <laughs> Ron Paul, oh eight. Uh, don't mime. I don't have the video camera. No sign language.
4: Oh, sorry. I had the uh, the mute on. I was trying you to. You mean me?
0: <laughs>
4: No mind. Um, earlier, when we were talking about uh, dreams and stuff before um, before David came on, um, Greg was saying something in the chat window about what if we don't have dreams and stuff, and and I noticed that uh, when I started rooting out my false self, a lot of my previous motivations for things went with it, and it kind of left a a vacuum of ambition, so to speak. Um, So it was a little bit disorienting um, to have the the things that previously motivated me sort of disappear suddenly like that. And I was just wondering if you would like to uh, address that a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's an excellent, excellent point. And I certainly <clears throat> have have experienced that vertigo that comes from when your momentum seems to just escape you completely. And you, you, it's not exactly like you fall, it's like you're free-floating, or it's like, uh, uh, n- n- now what? And of course, the problem is that when, when most people's false selves collapse in a particular area of motivation that is not based on sort of healthy or organic or self-generated motives, they feel this vertigo, and they feel uneasy. They feel uneasy. Uh, what am I supposed to do now, <laughs> right? And and they then will rush into something else, right? I'm gonna join a volleyball league, or I'm gonna, I don't know, uh, <laughs> join the foreign legion, or I'm gonna take up a new hobby, or I'm gonna go date someone, or I'm going to, you know, there's this um. Uh, there's this feeling of uh, disconnectedness, or or dissociation, or alienation from the life that you've had. And it's very disorienting because you think that you have a personality that is wants certain things and dislikes certain things. And then that changes, you know, really, really rapidly when you have a breakthrough, a sort of a personal breakthrough. And then there's this feeling of like, you know, toot, floating in space, you know, like up there like Stephen Hawking upside down. And most people will then rush towards something else to fill that void. Uh, but that void is essential, right? That void is essential. That's like you've just moved this huge dead tree out of the way And now the light is striking, you know, the little shoots or the tiny buds of the true self. And and to not act in those moments, to not rush to fill with something new, I think is particularly essential. And that was certainly my experience of it. And it's a hard thing to do. Sometimes you can feel like just days are going by, weeks are going by, and I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do. But out of that can come some real fertility. But I think that the waiting for that, I think, is very important. What was your experience of it?
4: Well, I think it was similar to that. Um, actually, I I kind of went into a uh, self-imposed hermit life here for a little while, and it was just, um, you know, I would still do a lot of the things that I enjoyed doing, you know, hanging out with some of my friends and stuff, um, uh, coming on the uh, FDR boards and hooking around and things like that. But the, the old, uh, you know, I want to make this much money so I can do this and that and all that other stuff just sort of dried up and went away. And by allowing myself to, like you said, not grab immediately for something else, I think that's what allowed the um, the restlessness in my career that I've been talking about over the last few weeks to sort of show itself. And to it allowed me to explore that um, discomfort and finally break through to the, you know, this development into, um, you know, wanting to pursue this contractor type uh, career. So, and what was really cool about that is once the, once I realized that and since I'd been kind of, I guess you could say, building up my my uh, emotional capital for that, I was able to, you know, really hit it hard and then the success felt fantastic because there hadn't been all this other noise I guess around it. You know what I'm saying? I think I'm being a little choppy mm-hmm. on this, but
0: No, I think so it makes was sense.
4: Uh, yeah, so the victory was really, really sweet when it when it happened. And it was like it was something that I knew was motivated from from deep inside me in a true self way. It was it was something that was it was definitely just a a healthy internally motivated thing versus a looking out into the world and seeing other people that seemed happy and saying, ooh, they're happy, I want what they have.
0: Right, right. Right, it's the, uh, the beer commercial. It's like, uh, everyone out there is having fun, and they're playing Twister, and they just seem to be having the best time ever, and I'm sitting <laughs> right. here stewing in my own philosophical juices, not getting anywhere in life, and I'm doomed, and uh, right. Right. And that,
4: yeah. You know, then you just have to go out and buy a, a Twister game, which of course doesn't work, but... But yeah, it was. Uh, I just thought that that was uh, an important thing to mention. That if there's no dreams, then don't worry too much about it just yet. Because you know, just give yourself a chance to. I mean, the dream is there. You just have to realize, or you have to give yourself a chance to recognize it. I think. You
0: know there's a, I mean? you know, there's a, there's a gap between like the. Thinking of the book, The Hobbit, right? There's this, this Smurf. What well, was this? Smorg. Smorg the dragon. Smurf the dragon was not quite as frightening smog. the dragon is like flying over this 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 town and of course this is the false self right it's flying around it's supposed patrolling you from the enemies of the outside world but it's actually becoming sort of a tyrant which is sort of what the government is supposed to be there to defend you but it's actually attacking you that's why and so is god right It's supposed to love you but he actually curses and punishes you for disobedience right so that which we create to protect us ends up uh, attacking us right so when you've had smog, the dragon flying over your, your village right for, for 20 years or 30 years, when smog goes down, it takes a little while for the villagers to come out from their cellars,? Right? <laughs> because they, you know they've been down there hiding for decades, right? So that space, that space of great silence and stillness, that occurs after the false self goes down, but before the true self comes up. Um, is is a great test of people's patience and self confidence to to know, just to know, to know, to have reliance on yourself and to know that you're gonna do the right thing at the right time.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I I I think that's what I just wanted to kind of put out there because I think there is an open question about that on the board. So cool.
0: I'm it done. This open no more. This is open no more. Well thanks, that's excellent. Did you have anything else you wanted to ask or, or mention?
3: Um,
4: I don't think, oh yeah, there was something on, uh, that came up on the, uh, the boards just over the last couple of days. And I believe that the guy that we were talking with is in on the chat window right now. So that might mean that he's listening in, but, um, he's coming up against a, the, the big question of, uh, you know, do I, do I face down this thing with my parents or don't I? I think you know which one I'm talking about. And uh, mm-hmm. I said, you know, there's a lot of freedom on the other side of that question. And he, you know, of course, which was a very wise thing to do, he said, well, I hear what you're saying, but it sounds like you're, you know, you're preaching to me like, a, uh, you know, a, a pastor or a minister that uh, just says, trust me, it's there, you know, but I have no proof. And I'm, <laughs> I'm really wondering, like, how is it that... Because I kind of face this same this uh, same question comes up for me all the time when I'm talking to my friends about things like this is um, how how do I convince people aside from my obvious enthusiasm for this stuff that that there is such freedom in this because I can I can tell I mean some of these people are like literally just tripping over the edge and it's like they want that push, but I can't really quite figure out what that how to help them with that you know
0: Right, right. No, I mean, that's, that's an excellent, excellent question. Um, do you have access to any medium to hardcore drugs? Um, because if you can slip something into their drink uh, and then um, put them in some foreign country in a jungle where they have no contact with their parents, it's the third party defu. Uh, by the time they get back to civilization, they'll be so mad at you and they'll have forgotten about their parents. So there's lots of different ways. If that's not sort of an available option for you, then there's another way of approaching it. Um, and I, if it 's the same guy I think that you 're talking about on the boards, uh, I asked him uh, because it 's about asking it 's not about telling right? i mean when when right. somebody 's that close to the edge, if you tell them then you what, what happens is you push them back to their relationship with their parents
4: right right. All
0: right so if you if you tell them well, you have to separate with your parents because it 's the right thing to do then you 're lecturing them right? and again that's, that 's uh, that 's my job so don 't cut into my territory <laughs> um, so <laughs> Christina's laughing but also wiping away a tear. Um, so you, you can't you can't tell them, and you can't tell someone to be free because we're not free because we got told all this nonsense all the time. The way that I will try to approach it, and I, I've sort of done this on the board, I haven't had a chance to check his response yet, is to say, well, first of all, it's it's not about you know it's not about me. If if, if it's you, I'll just sort of pretend it's you. It's not about me. But what I would say is that what What are the values that you have that are directly opposed to the values that your parents have? And I think that's a very, very important question to ask people who are just on the edge of of leaping and flying, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's just important to clarify. What values do you have that are the opposite, right? So this guy's an atheist, if I remember rightly, and his parents are religious. And so he started off this post, and again, correct me on anything I misremember. He started off in his post by saying... You know, I dislike uh, women and I don't understand why because my mom is great and my grandmom is great and my parents are still together after 40 years and they love each other and they worship each other and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, not literally two days later, you find out and, and you know, enormous kudos to this gentleman for taking this leap because it's very, very hard to uh, to make this leap when you're arguing with somebody. Um, when people argue with me about, you know, environmentalism or the state, and I just know it's about their family, and then I say to them, well, tell me a little bit about your family history, then they think I'm pulling some horrible (laughs) trick on them, right? And it's not easy, it's not an easy, but this guy did it beautifully, so massive kudos to him. You find out that he's an atheist, that his mother thinks he's a narcissist, and that she's religious, and inflicted religious education, well, (laughs) religious miseducation, anti-education on him, right? So... So she's, what I hear from that is uh, she's a dangerous cultist who abused her child, who calls him narcissistic because he disagrees with her. And to me, it's no longer a mystery why he doesn't like women, right? I mean, especially if there's a grandmom thrown into the mix. So this is, this is a peculiar kind of horror, well, it's not that peculiar, that is passed down through the maternal line. So I think that the way to, to, to give him the, the strength to do this or to release his strength to do this is to appeal to his pride, and the way to appeal to his pride, I hope I'm not giving the whole game away if this guy listens to it, but it's not really a game, it's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> he's listening right
4: now, actually, he's, he's talking oh, is he? in the right. chat Okay.
0: yeah. Did I get anything completely wrong? <laughs> there is a grandma, uh... okay. There is a grandma, yeah, I thought so. So what you do is you say, well, what are your values compared to your mom's values? And we're not going to talk about the dad just now, because his issues are more with women than with men at the moment. And so you say, well, what are your values? He says, well, my values are, you know, truth, integrity, rationality, justice, honor, dignity, whatever it is, right? And what are the values that your mom has that opposes that? Well, she's superstitious, she's domineering, she's bullying, she's she's critical, she's whatever it is, right? So you say, okay, you have these values which are good, right? And positive, you know, you haven't uh, inflicted religious education on a child and called that child narcissistic for whatever X, Y, and Z. So you have these values, which I think by any reasonable standard would be considered good values, rational integrity and so on, or philosophy. And your mother has the complete opposite values. Now, do you think that it's possible to be in a relationship with someone, to be close to someone, to trust someone, to give them your heart and soul? Because we have no choice about that with our parents and our siblings. We give them our heart and soul just by stepping in the room. There's too much unchosen history there. You can't protect yourself from your family, right? That's why I say de not defriend, right? Because friends are more recent and they haven't, right? I mean, unless it's the same sort of abuse. But so uh, you see, once he clarifies the values that he has that are in opposition to his parents' values, so he has fa- values and they're not subjective, right? Superstition and rationality are not, you know, hey, flip a coin, which do you want? So you have values and you have anti-values. And then you say, well, do you think that it's possible to have a loving safe nurturing productive happy joyful secure relationship with someone who violently opposes the values that you hold that are good values and if you ask that question it tends to bring things pretty close to the surface right so once you get the opposite values thing once you get that you have these values, which are good, not I like Rocky Road and you like some other ice cream, but good and bad values, right and wrong values, values and anti-values. Once you get that you have these values and your parents have the complete opposite values and they will attack you every time you manifest what's important to you, it becomes pretty clear you can never have a relationship with these people. because you, and, unless, unless one of two things occur. Either A, you change your values to the exact opposite of what you believe. So you become superstitious, you sink into the quagmire of general insanity called religion, you become conformist, you become whatever. You completely dismantle and submerge your personality into the collective weirdness that is the modern society, right? Into your parents' wishes. In which case, you're not going to have a relationship with them because you don't exist and they don't exist in any fundamental way, but at least you won't be fighting all the time. So you'll sort of dissolve into this collective soup and there won't be any conflict, or If your parents reverse all of their values and stop being superstitious and creepy and overbearing, and I'm just making this stuff up. I don't know much about his parents, but just religious and narcissist tells me quite a bit. If your parents are willing to ditch their anti-horrible, nasty values and become positive and decent people in terms of good values, then it's possible... It's, it's possible, I don't think it's probable, but it's possible that you can have some kind of relationship with them. But the problem is, if it's easy for them to do that, then the question is, why did they never do it before? And you get into all of this, once the tracks have been laid, you can't change the train's path in history, right? I mean, so that all becomes uh, stuff to do with the past. So I think that this clarification of values is really important. Because people, when they're confronted with that question, I believe in honesty and you believe in lying. That you can't have. Once you get that clarity, you cannot have a relationship with somebody when you have opposing values in very fundamental areas.
4: Um, yeah, actually, that just made me think of something else. The um, when you talked about if they're able to um, suppress their own values or to give up their values, I was thinking that if. If we're always being asked to sacrifice those values that we hold most dear, rationality, virtue, um, universality, uh, if we're asked to sacrifice all of that in order to have a quote-unquote normal relationship with our families, then why shouldn't we be able to also ask them to sacrifice what they call values for a relationship with us?
0: Well, sure, uh, that's a perfectly reasonable question, and you know the answer to that, right?
4: Right, it's, uh, obviously, but that's just the that's the question that, one of the questions that I had to ask myself, I think, and, um, you know, when it came to my own defooing, it was ridiculously hard to face right up until the moment that I did it. And, it, it's, like, as I was doing it, as I was having that conversation, that vulnerable, open conversation um, with my mom, um, it became suddenly very easy because I realized how intransigent her, you know, she was clinging to these values so tenaciously that it was she was using them to justify her actions. She was using them as, um, you know, as her excuses, as her cover. And I thought, well, there's there's no way I can get through to this. There's no way that. I can share anything with this woman because our our standards of truth are literally polar opposites. And I mean there was there was no hope for deep connection there because I mean the we were standing on different islands so we couldn't reach out and touch each other.
0: Right, right. And and I think the other reason why I really recommend that people have that conversation if it's physically safe to do so is that doesn't it give you an enormous amount of sympathy for yourself when you were a child absolutely yeah and that was if you uh, can't do it as an adult with all the knowledge and freedom if you can't make a connection with your parents when you're an adult with all the knowledge and freedom and, and psychological insights and sophistication and and independence if you can't make that connection as an adult there was no chance that you could have done it when you were a child
4: right right yeah and this um in the chat window Daniel asked um oops I, <laughs> anyway he Someone asked uh, how can we tell what a good relationship is and my answer was you don't fear openness. And that was the biggest the biggest indicator for me that I had a sorry <laughs> in the chat window there. Anyway, um that was the biggest indicator for me that I didn't have a true relationship with my family is because I the stuff that I value the most, the stuff that I can easily talk about with my friends, I couldn't I was terrified of talking about this stuff with my family. And every time I tried to bring it up, they would, each one of them would use their own special kung fu for, for, uh, covering it up. They would, like, my brother would, uh, would, uh, tell me that I think too deeply about stuff. I should just, you know, go, go with the flow and stop worrying so much about everything. My mom would say I don't understand, you know, I, and then try to change the subjects. Um, my dad, I don't know, some, I'm not sure with my dad so much. He just likes talking about boring stuff, but anyway, the, uh, it was just—I uh, knew deep down that was the fear that I had of of, um, of going to them with this stuff—is that I knew that it was just going to be annihilated as soon as my my mouth was open and the words came out, they were going to take a tennis racket to him and pound him into the floor. You know, it was just—it was pointless. So.
0: And the most powerful, for me at least, the most powerful question that a child can ask his parent, parents, is—is is this? I don't feel that you listen to me. Yeah. That to me is one of the most powerful questions that a child can ask a parent. I don't feel that you listen to me, and that's a very precise question, because it's not saying you don't listen to me, right? Because that's a statement of fact and not of experience. Statements of experience can never be contradicted, right? Statements of experience can never be contradicted. I feel scared can never be contradicted by anyone, right. because you know what's someone going to say? You don't feel scared. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I feel scared. Right. That's why the I feel, I think statements are so powerful in relationships, and that's why the you are and you never and you always and you I mean that that stuff is escalatory because uh, then you're making statements of fact which are subject to attack. You know, in the sort of uh, screenplay versus documentary metaphor, I feel scared is a screenplay statement. It's like the lead, lead character of my movie's name is Bob. Nobody can conceivably disagree with you. Unless they, I don't know, right. you, you're an incredible liar and they've got an MRI machine hooked up to you and they can see your fear center, whatever, right? But I mean, in, in any genuine human relationship, when you say to your parents, I feel that you don't listen to me, how they respond tells you everything that you need to know about that relationship. Because if they say, no, we do listen to you, you're wrong, then clearly they've just confirmed the diagnosis, right? I right. feel like you keep hitting me, punch! No, I don't, Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's clearly an insane uh, non-relationship, right? It's very, now, if they say, well, that's, that's," I'm sorry to hear that, tell me more, then maybe you've made a mistake or maybe they've learned something or whatever, right? But uh, uh, if they basically tell you that you're wrong when you have an I feel statement, then they're just not interested in you as a human being and they're just going to try and shut you up. And that's not, of course, any relationship any of us wants to waste time in. Absolutely. So yeah,
4: so the uh what I learned out of this conversation with uh this this guy on the board. And by the way, I also agree that um the the thread that he started with the, you know, the full disclosure that he started with about his attitude toward women and stuff like that. I mean, that took <laughs> that took some stones. That I mean, that's that's guts that I just absolutely admire. So to put himself up there in front of us all to kind of see what was going on under the hood was just great. Um, And it is
0: amazing, just sorry to interrupt for a sec, it is amazing that when we are the most vulnerable, we are the most admired, right? I mean, that's something that's the complete opposite of what we think is going to happen.
4: Right, right. And uh, so, I mean, what was really great about this conversation for me was that it helped me to ask this question right now is how do I help the people that I know can take it that that I know want the help but I just I'm trying to figure out what's the what's the correct next move and and it's the ask the questions don't lecture and I I have a real hard time with that sometimes because I tend to be sort of luxury I think that's part of my my own uh false self upbringing I was the the smart kid that always wanted to tell everyone else what to do so
0: oh yeah no that's uh, that's terrible I've never had any experience with that so I Never, never. Why Why are you looking at me that way? Why? <laughs> Stop staring. Oh, wait, sorry. That's my conscience. <laughs> it's a bit blurry. The big sometimes. eye. <laughs> sorry, okay, I... just a vagina eye, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's around asking questions and you've got to trust them, right? You, you know, it's sometimes getting the true self to come out. It's like getting one of those really, you know, it's like trying to get a, a, a ferret on a double espresso to sit on your hand peacefully, right? I mean, it's, No sudden movement. They want to know that the the dragon is out of the sky, so to speak. But uh, it really is. You got to trust that people will absolutely make the connection. They will absolutely do the right thing. um, But they they have to. They have to go through that value clarification themselves, uh, so that they can see clearly. Because they know this deep down. Right, the true self records everything. It is the ultimate uh, transcriber, and they know deep down. The values that their parents have. And they probably knew this at about the age of 18 months. Uh, They knew their parents inside and out like an x-ray. And uh, once you get them to the opposing values, then it's clear. like You can't have a good relationship unless you give up your identity or your parents give up their corruption. Uh, There's just no possibility any other way. And that is what... It's the illusion, right? It's like the illusion of progress. Well, if I go over and I try this approach or that approach, or if I try to open the lock with this particular combination and so on, but... You know, people are not trying to pick a lock. There's just a blank wall, right? And once you get, once people get that Ron Paul isn't going to save them from the government, and once they get that uh, agnosticism isn't going to save them from religion, and once people get that conformity is not going to save their relationship with their parents, then we can all just stop wasting time and get into something more productive and joyful.
4: Testify. All right. I th- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brother. I I'm, I think I'm done with what what I needed.
0: So,
1: thank you again. And, uh,
0: Duty from Dutyville that we're randomly picking apart here in the chat window. He doesn't want to come on, is that right? Or he doesn't have a mic? Or... I don't know. Okay, well, if he does, then let me know. Oh, he said he can. Oh, yeah, well, if he'd like to, uh, let me know. Somebody had a question. Uh, the movie that I uh, wrote, um, uh, is uh, it's called After. I actually, I've just realized, of course, I don't have a copy, um, uh, so I'm going to get in touch with my ex-girlfriend and get a copy. I don't know how I'm going to distribute it, but there it is. Um if you want to know how to get a copy of of After uh, Donate uh, if you wouldn't uh, be, be if you'd be so very kind um for uh, for 50 bucks you get uh the PDF of The God of Atheists. for 100 bucks you get the PDF and the audiobook or if you want for 100 bucks you can get almost which is almost an entire forest's worth of trees. So <laughs> that's why it's co- almost consumed all of the damn paper in the world to print, because it's a uh, 1,000 pages, uh, but uh, uh, I think uh, uh, a damn fine book, if I may say so myself. So that's the answer to that question. And um, did we have uh, this? He's on? Daniel, you're in the lion's den. Uh, testing, can you hear me? Sure can. Oh, cool. All
5: right. I'm a little bit nervous, so please forgive my uh, my wavering voice.
0: Well, don't worry about that, and I should be a little bit apologetic, because here we are talking about you in the third person, and you're listening away, so I hope that it wasn't too uh, uh, too harsh or unfeeling or anything like that. Uh, well, I just stopped crying. <laughs> right. So he's not too nervous to make a joke. That's good. I think you're relaxing already. Well, my hands are still a little bit shaky, but that's all right.
5: I'll just ease
0: into this. Don't think of all the generations in the future who are going to be following every single comma that you'll be talking about, because that freaks me out when I think about that. So don't think about that, whatever you do.
5: Oh, okay. I'll Go work ahead. on that. All right. Let's see. Um, well, yeah, I'm not really sure what else to talk about you know, with this. It's uh, It was all pretty well dissected uh, earlier and on the board. Um, it, you know, it's really a, a scary thing.
0: Well, do you mind if I ask you those those questions that I was talking about with the last caller? I mean this this thing around value clarification, because the impression that I got from the first post or two that you did about your parents was mm-hmm. that they were sort of a long term loving, devoted to each other kind of couple, and that didn't mm-hmm. that didn't make much sense to me in terms of your feelings towards women. And so I suspected some poisonous centre to the matriarchy, and then when you began to talk about your mother's religious, uh, sensibilities and, of course, the infliction of religious education on you, which I, I think I remember on the board. And then, uh, in particular, when she used the phrase narcissist to describe you, which is a very harsh uh, and, and, uh, and a terrible term to use, of course, on your own child, this began to sort of clear things up a little bit for me. But can you tell me a little bit more about the values that you hold that are the opposite of the values that your your mom holds? Um. Well, when I was
5: talking about how, just uh, okay, when I was talking about how they they had a, a you know a long-term loving relationship and so forth, you know they had been uh, married for twenty some odd years and uh, and my mom would always come to me and she would talk about how she, she just you know she would worship my dad. She would just tell me about how you know he's such a wonderful person he was, how he worked so hard and he supported everybody and how he always thought of her and all this kind of stuff and uh, and my dad would do the same thing he wouldn't talk so much as he would just do stuff you know he would he would do stuff that he knew that uh, my mom liked and you know take care of her and that kind of stuff so uh this when i said that that was i think we were still talking about um uh, women at that point and and my innate misogyny. so uh you know it was it's just like on the surface this it, is the only thing that that uh, she and i differ on really on the surface is, is the religious aspect. Uh, of course, you know, when you go deeper in it, it's more of the whole rationality and, and she's, you know, big on faith and, but she won't talk to me about it. And, and that's kind of what frustrates me, you know?
0: Right. And so, well, give me a sense of the kind of, so you'll say, or the, the topic will come up and mm-hmm. something to do with God or religion or faith will come up. You'll make yeah. a comment or, or an invitationary kind of statement. Um, mm-hmm. Like when Christina says, "I just went shopping," right? That's an invitation to freak out. No, um, <laughs> panic, panic! I've got to go back to work. I can't do free domain radio. You've been to the mall, but what is your Call mom's response when this sort uh, of topic comes up? Um. Well, at at first,
5: it was uh, it was just kind of avoidance because you know I didn't I didn't uh, come right out and tell him I was an atheist at first. I kind of tiptoed around the subject as sort waters a little bit, and then. Uh, when I did, it, it was kind of all of a sudden, because I think we were, like, talking about politics or, or something, and, it, of course, it veered into that. And wh- what I did is I, I would talk about things that I didn't agree with, like that um, HPV vaccine scandal, which, which really was the final straw for me.
0: Oh, where they um, said, uh, we, we don't want women to get immunized because the threat of cancer will make women <clears> not have sex exactly the disinhibition and i thought that was just exactly the opposite of of
5: you know love and compassion and all that kind of stuff and um and so you know i, I would bring that kind of stuff up and, and she, she you know she agreed with me on that uh, but later on it finally came out and it was she she and i were talking on the back porch and it was a nice day and everything and she uh, it finally came out. I don't really remember the conversation that well, but what I do remember was my dad was inside and he, he could, you know, obviously hear us talking, and he got kind of upset and charged out and started, uh, you know, giving me the the standard, uh, you know, theist response to rationality, like, well, you can't see infrared waves, and I came right back at him. I said, but I can measure them, and that that really uh, that that kind of stunned him, and we got into a debate on that. But normally when I talk about this stuff with my mom, she withdraws. And what she'll do is if I do get her into this, you know, this, well, I hate to say back her into a corner. I talk to, you know, it's like, well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you answer these contradictions in the Bible? How do you answer these logical contradictions about God and that kind of stuff? Uh, she gives me, you know, what what I, I think of as, as kind of an honest answer. She'll say, I don't know. And, you know, and, and other than that, she just kind of avoids. And then she'll send me, um, you know, she'll send me devotionals, prayer devotionals over the email. And uh, and you know she um, she uh, forces me if you can say that to uh, to say grace when I eat dinner at their house and that kind of stuff. But uh, after uh, after she told me that she was attacked by her coworkers verbally for being a Christian and they're all a bunch of atheists and you know how most atheists can be uh, very haughty and very you know elitist and that kind of stuff. Uh, and they, she was verbally attacked by them. Um, I just stopped bringing it all together because it's like I don't want to, you know, add to that. And plus, I was still kind of confused. Uh, I wouldn't say agnostic; just, you know, the the latency of of religion is very hard to, you know, get over. And and I've only been an atheist now for, actually, I think about 13 months. So you know, I'm getting around to it. But at first, at this no, point, it's, it's in time,
0: tough. I mean, it's it's embedded, right? I mean, it's it's emotionally rooted within you. Uh, it, it, this is this is why they get kids right because they can't sell this stuff to adults very easily. But uh, kids who are credible and dependent and helpless in the face of intellectual insistence on the part of the, their elders, uh, it. Re, I mean, I totally sympathize. It it absolutely embeds itself right into the root of your soul, and it is it's very hard to uh, to to uproot that stuff. So I mean, don't be in any rush. I mean, it, it takes time, uh, and it's, it takes uh, uh, you know consistently combing over. Sorry, go ahead.
5: Well, I'm just going to you know say it's it's like. You know, being growing growing up, and you know, thirty years, and you're told that the Earth is flat. The Earth is flat. The Earth is flat. And then you know, some dude with a ship comes to you and says, "Yeah, you no, know, the Earth is round. Let's go sailing around it." And you're thinking, yeah I go fall off." What the over edge. the edge? <laughs> are
0: you crazy? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like well, well you, you know, I hear uh, uh, evidence that the earth is round, but uh, I'm sorry, you were saying well, Richard Dawkins has this thing where I think he's quite right when he talks about this and he says that, and I mentioned this in a podcast recently but I still, it's worth repeating here um, that to to he says that to, to call a child a Christian is, is child abuse, right? To say this is a Christian child, right? This child believes in God and it makes no more sense to say a Christian child than it does to say Marxist child or Keynesian child or libertarian child because the concepts uh, can't be processed by children. Children don't and it's not that children don't have the intelligence. In my view, children are about the most intelligent people on the planet because they're closer to the true self than we'll be for quite some time. But uh, they don't have the independence, right, to make mm-hmm. uh, any sorts of decisions uh, on their own, right? Then, and, and if if parents force stuff down the children's throat intellectually, the child has no choice but to open up and say, "Hey, that was tasty. Give me some more, right?" But there's just no possibility that children have any other uh, way of of dealing with this kind of stuff. So. The question then sort of arises for me, and, you know, you can mull it over or tell me that I'm full of nonsense, which is totally fine, right? But the question sort of arises to me, if your mom knows how you feel or what you think, why is she sending you the devotionals? Well,
5: it's, you know, she wants – I I can tell you what I would think in her position. I can't tell you what she's thinking, obviously, but, you know, I I know it's um, (laughs) – Well, my grandfather was uh, was not a Christian. I think we think we're not sure. Um, he uh, and, and so when he was dying, everybody was very freaked out because of this very issue, you know. And and so I, I kind of think it's the same thing going on here. It's just that she's she's freaked out because in her mind, you know, at least at least you know, consciously on the surface, uh, I I'm on the uh, you know fast track to hell. And she wants to save me from that. And so, but she can't talk to me about it because for whatever reason, you know, it, and and so she just kind of sends me these devotionals. Maybe she doesn't think I'm serious about it. Yeah, it was just a phase I went through or something. I don't know.
0: Well, I think that it's clear to me at least that your mom is making truth statements, which is there is a God and he is described in the Bible and Jesus was his son who died on the cross for your sins. I think most particularly your sins. Uh, the sin of disobedience to your mom, but um, just kidding. I, I think horrible. that your mom is making truth statements that are very fundamental about reality and morality that she has no basis for, right? She has, she has no rational basis for making any of these statements. They are merely convincing opinions, as we, I've sort of talked about recently. It's a story right. that she's asking you is true, to believe is true. And there's a story that doesn't even have the consistency of something like Star Trek or Lord of the Rings, which Lord knows aren't perfectly consistent, but it's, it's a very contradictory and, and silly story with with talking snakes and walking on water and coming back from the dead. I mean, it's, it's all very, very silly, right? I mean, it's not, that's right. not how we experience it when we're children. Then it's like a noble and holy truth. But when you grow up and you say, well you know, these screenwriters should have been shot, right? <laughs> because it just makes no sense at all, and it's completely contradictory, and we're supposed to worship this wonderful being who kills everyone in the whole world because they disobey him, right? I mean, this is homicidal, right? We're supposed to dislike Hitler and love God. I mean, it all just makes no sense at all, right, fundamentally. Right. But she's making very solid truth statements that she has no reason to believe. So this is, this is I, I'm guessing, and you can let me know what you think. Your mom is saying, this is true, right? And you say, well... If it's true, how do you know, right? If you're saying this is true, like God exists, is different from I like ice cream. If you're saying it's true objectively and independently, how do you know that it's true? And she says, well, because the Bible says this. You say, yeah, but the Bible says the opposite and so on. So what she's, she's got a certainty, which is that God exists and Christ died for your sins and you're going to hell if you don't believe whatever, whatever. She's got this certainty and she says, I have certainty for reasons A, reasons B, and reasons C. I'm just, I don't know how many, she's probably got an infinite number of them, like all religious people do, but she says, I have certainty about the existence of God and Jesus and hell and so on, based on A, B, and C, and then you disprove A, B, and C. Does that dislodge the certainty? Not at all, right? Not at all, not even a tiny bit. In fact, she views it as something which is a, it would be a sin to express any doubt and so on. So basically what your mom is doing is she's saying, I have rational reasons for believing in God, I have reasons for believing in God, that God is not just my opinion, the existence of God is objective and true and, and factual and so on because of A, B, and C, you disprove A, B, and C and she doesn't change her position.
5: Well then she Which switches over that, to the um, well Well, I have faith argument and faith is virtuous and so you ask sure, why faith is virtuous. Sure, I mean I got
0: And that makes perfect sense but then what she right. says is, I believe that there is a God that's right. a whole different planet from saying there is a God Okay. Right, I mean, there's lots of crazy people who who believe that they're Napoleon. That doesn't mean that they're about to lead the charge on Wellington, right? So saying, I believe that there is a God, which is a, which is a true statement of faith. A true statement of faith is, I believe that there is a God. Okay. A true statement of fact, though, is that there is a God, and that's why I believe in God. And so, I, I, the, I don't mean to sort of be overly subtle in this distinction, but this is a world apart. This is the difference between a documentary and a work of fiction. If somebody has an opinion that there's a God, well, it's true that they have an opinion that there's a God. And Mm -hmm. is that opinion based on any evidence? No. Well, then it's just a prejudice. Then it's just bigotry, right? Like if I believe that blacks are inferior and somebody says why, and I said, well, reasons A, B, and C, and those A, B, and C reasons turn out to be false, and I still think that blacks are inferior, then I'm just a bigot, right? I'm just making up reasons, but fundamentally I just believe that blacks – like there's no evidence. It's just an opinion, but I'm trying to pass it off as a fact.
5: So in this case, it is possible to have a wrong opinion, so to speak.
0: Uh, tell me more what you mean.
5: Well, you know, an opinion, um, you know, like my, my dad would always say, uh, or, you know, he would say it's my opinion. I would say, well, your opinion is wrong, just kind of teasing him. And he would say, well, it can't be wrong, it's opinion. You know, you can't, you can't say that I don't like the color blue because, you know, it's an opinion. But you say that faith is just an opinion or, or you know, bigotry, you're using those terms synonymously uh so in this case though uh, the opinion could be wrong
0: well their opinion is wrong for sure because even by their own definitions it, it's wrong right because they give all these reasons why they have this opinion right so people say i have objectively interpreted the evidence and this is why i believe what i believe that's that's what okay. you do when you make a truth statement but they have not objectively interpreted the evidence right they they believe basically because they were forced to believe and they've got a lot of scar tissue about being bullied to believe the superstitious nonsense. And they don't want to evaluate their own histories. They don't want to evaluate what was done to them as children. They don't want to evaluate who they are as human beings and, and what their histories have been like and what their parents were like. And so they just continue to photocopy this infliction of superstitious harm on on their own children, right? So um but but if it's an opinion, right? Like if I say I like ice cream, does that mean you have to like ice cream? No. Right. So if I say I believe in God and it's just my opinion, that that doesn't mean anything in terms of what you need to believe, right? Right. If I say I like this song, does that mean you have to like it? Well in that case, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> if it's one of my songs, yes. But <laughs> but I mean if, if if I say if I just have an opinion about something, that is not in any way, shape or form binding upon you. Right.
5: Um, well, you know, in the case of, you know, being a um, well, if it's just an opinion, yes. But I, I guess where you're going is like if, if you're, you know, the boss of a black person, and you don't like black people or whatever, and you start discriminating, uh, that becomes an issue.
0: Well, sure. But I'm but th- that's a difference. So I, I can inflict my opinion on other people. But that no, right. in no way, shape or form means that they have to agree with me. So if I'm some racist bigot and I fire some black guy, then I'm saying, basically, I'm firing you because I don't like blacks. But that doesn't mean that it's incumbent upon him to start disliking blacks. He's just going to say, what an asshole, right? <laughs> what a racist jerk. I'm glad to be out of his employ. Okay. But that doesn't mean that he now has to believe that blacks are inferior just because I'm bigoted. Sure. And how does this right? So in the same religion? way, your parents can inflict their religious fantasies and, and their, their superstition on you. But that doesn't mean that, it's, that you must believe it because it's true. You just say, well, this is bigotry, that they believe stuff without any reason whatsoever. They claim these rational justifications. When questioned on them, they change the subject. They send me all these passive-aggressive devotionals. They won't talk about it. They come up with arguments to say, this is why, well, you can't see infrared. It's like, well, of course I can see infrared. That's how we know there's such a thing called infrared rather than... Kryptonite, right, <laughs> which we can't see. Actually, I think kryptonite is a, a material now. But, but anyway, I mean, <laughs> they come up with all these reasons, and then when you point out that those reasons are false, they don't change their opinion. Well, that's the very definition of bigotry. It is belief despite evidence, not without evidence. Despite right, you were just saying that. In the opposite the, of evidence. Earlier Sorry, go
5: podcast. Ahead. You were just saying that in the earlier podcast. Uh, was it today or yesterday or something?
0: Oh, my God, did I repeat myself? <gasps> no, it can't be. Let us mark down the time. What is it? Five to five, Sunday the- Oh, my God. I can't believe I went this long without repeating myself. Once! Even once. Sorry, go ahead.
5: Oh, I had nothing else. How does that, all of this, though, relate back to the bigger picture of uh, w- w- whatever it was we were talking about?
0: Well, the bigger picture which, which started the conversation, as far as I'm concerned, is not your past with your mother, but your future with women.
5: Okay. That's a good way to go.
0: Honey, did you want to say anything about that? No, you haven't read the post, right? So so the only thing that I would say about that, and I mean, we've got, you've got lots of stuff to chew on, right? So, I mean, take your time or whatever, and then let me know if I've made any total ridiculous mistakes and whatever, right? But um, the, way, the way that I see this sort of working within your own mind, and you can let me know or take time to think about it. And again, this is just my opinion. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing incumbent upon you to believe anything or not. This is just maybe maybe helpful, right? Um, The way I view your mother, this is just my opinion, is a Mm -hmm. hypocritical, manipulative witch. And I apologize for putting it this bluntly. Uh, And, you know, Lord knows I have not been without my own mommy issues, so I hope that I'm not projecting. But the way that I see your mom is a a hypocritical, manipulative, conformist uh, witch who put you through a, quote, education that was the opposite of knowledge, that was the opposite, that did enormous harm to your capacity to think, and has given you a very deep pit from which you need to crawl out using your fingernails and teeth to recover from the damage that was inflicted upon your mind through the um, the infliction of this superstitious nonsense when you were growing up. So I view this as extraordinarily destructive. And, And your mom knew better, right? Your mom is fully responsible for that. Your mom knew better because she knows exactly what to avoid, right? Your mom knows exactly which topics to avoid. And this is the essence of, to me, this is the essence of parental responsibility in the realm of child abuse. If your mom was innocent, of doing anything wrong with you when you were a child then when you brought up the logical contradictions within the belief system that she has, this bigot, bigoted fantasy superstition that she believes in. When you brought up these contradictions, she would sit there and go, oh my goodness, I had never thought of it that way before. That is incredible. I mean, to think that I could have taught you or believed in all of this stuff and that it could even, maybe maybe you're totally wrong, that it could be wrong is horrifying to me, exactly as if I had taught you that you should avoid vegetables and you should only eat chocolate, right? And then you right. get diabetes so you get sick, right? If I had given you advice on what to eat that was the complete opposite of what would be healthy, as a parent, I'm just appalled that I might have done that. And I'm appalled that my parents did that to me. And I'm appalled that all my friends are doing it to their children. And I'm appalled that the priest did it to them. And, and, and I'm appalled that, that everything that we, we're teaching children... Could be the exact opposite of truth is incredibly destructive towards them. So and and then she would explore this with you. If she was innocent of doing anything wrong to you, if she simply had never encountered any non-theistic rational philosophy in ever, right, then she would be uh forgivable, right? Because then it would be like you'd go on this journey together to to learn the truth and and you'd you'd argue and you'd debate and and it would be thrilling and terrifying and exciting, but, you know, that would be a companion worth having on the road to truth, right? I mean, somebody who, when they came across a contradiction, went, wow, well, I believed in God because of A, B, and C, but now I see that there are serious flaws with A, B, and C, so I need to really really reevaluate my thinking, right? That would be... uh, Sorry, go ahead.
5: I don't really know how to uh, express it, but that's a very, uh, you know, kind of a profound way to put it. Um... It it illustrates it for me, I guess, uh, puts it in context because I, I, as I posted uh, in my most recent post on the board um, in, in this thread, if, you know, compared to 99.9% of the people on this planet, my, my childhood was, was, you know, utopian. It was perfect. It was, you know, and, and so when, you know, it's, it's like this is just one little kink, you know, it's like.
0: Yeah. if it wasn't and for so, this religious thing man yeah well
5: and, and so you know i i don't know it's like going get, getting a gift car that you know has shattered windshield and and you know flat tires and it's like how how can i overlook that and i see it and you just you know told me what a, a good car looks like and it's like oh okay now i see it makes sense now.
0: right right everyone else is dragging themselves around uh, by their teeth and fingernails and you have a car that's a junker and you're like hey i'm great right Right. But and I totally understand that. Of course, part of the the um, the cult of Christianity, uh, part of the dictatorship of Christianity for children, is that you have to smile and believe that everything is perfect, right? Because to be unhappy is to be sinful, right? And this is a, mentally, like not even philosophically, emotionally and mentally, it's a complete straight jacket. It's that important, right? I'm sorry. So the fact in, is, though. Was, oh, I'm I just, saying just saying that. Um, no, no problem. That. Um, uh, to, to For Christians, to be unhappy is to be sinful, right? Christians right. always emphasize on putting on the good front, uh, Sunday best, uh, we're happy, uh, everybody smiles like it's a perpetual photograph, because God is always watching And unhappiness, is lack of faith in God's Hands up so, to the sky, yes. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be joyful, make a joyful noise, and all this be happy, and to be unhappy is uh, to, I don't know, kick sand in Jesus' face on the beach, or something like that, right? It's, it's incredibly heart. unhealthy. Right? It's incredibly unhealthy. It's right. You are not allowed to have the deep and rich uh, feelings. And there's a reason for that, right? That the deep and rich feelings lead you more towards reality than to God. So I'll just say two more things, and I don't want to drag you through the muck and mire too much, but I'll just say two more things if you don't mind. So just to finish up this thing with your mom, the important thing is to denormalize what your mom did. And I know it's what everyone uh, around you probably did and i know that it's uh it's hard to denormalize this kind of stuff but if you get a chance listen to this thing again after i post it this part of it is important for you because you need to get a sense of what your mom's doing right your mom has been caught uh in in passing off bigotry and falsehood and uh, uh mental uh torture in a way right god's watching you christ died for your sins you're going to hell she has been caught by you thinking uh, by poisoning the mind of her child, right? And and what is she doing? She's attempting to say that you're wrong and to cover up her crime. That is how you know that she's manipulative and abusive, right? Because she's not sitting there going, "Oh my God, I can't believe what I might have done to you." Let's explore this further. Tell me the books you're reading. I'm going to read through them. I'm going to struggle and strive to understand. No, she's like, "Hey." I know exactly what not to talk about. I know exactly what to cover up. I know exactly which topics to reject. I know exactly how to deal with my son so that he'll stop asking me these questions that make me feel bad. And I don't like to feel bad. And he's aggressing against me. And he's a bad kid. And I, but I love him. I'm going to send him the devotionals. I want him to get better. I don't want him to go to hell. But he really pisses me off when he talks about it. <coughs> like it's really bad. Like it's really bad emotionally to interact with this kind of uh, toxicity, right? With this kind of abuse. Okay, that makes sense. Now, I don't think that that's clear for you yet, and there's no reason why it would be, right? I mean, it's hard to look at your parents objectively, and I'm not saying I am, right? I'm just saying this is a possible perspective that might be helpful. But fundamentally, if, if it's true what I'm saying about your mom, but you don't see it, but you still feel it, where do those emotions go, right? If you, if you believe what I'm saying at some level, and maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, if you believe what I'm saying at some level, but consciously you don't accept that this has anything to do with your mom, right? then where do those feelings of betrayal and being manipulated and being controlled and being bullied, where do those feelings go? Oh,
5: I see. You're bringing this back to the the original post. It is all one big circle, my friend. (laughs) And so so you're saying that...
0: It's a possibility. This is just a theory, right? So it's a possibility
5: these unprocessed emotions are being i'm projecting them onto uh, every long-haired person i see huh
0: yeah i mean assuming that you're not some sort of hippie concert exactly yeah i mean that it's uh, and, and so this is this is this is the danger right and the other question is um, why is it that if if it's true that your mom is sort of a manipulative and destructive witch which is again just a theory right i mean I, just a theory just something them all over If it's true, and if it's also true that you don't see that, those feelings are going to attach themselves to something else. And this is how bigotry and prejudice reproduce themselves, my friend, because you can't look at the truth with your mom. And again, no shame in that. It's really, really hard to look at the truth with your family. But if it's true that you're making women in general pay for the sins of your mother, then in a sense you're almost being as unjust as your mom is in a way, right? Because she's got this bigotry about religion, and then you have this bigotry about women. And it's I'd not say, that the bigotry, the feelings... Sorry, go ahead. I was
5: going to say, you know, almost as just, I'd say it's even more unjust, uh, but go on.
0: Well, you have to be careful with the self-flagellation. Uh, as a Christian, that's just, this is your crack, right? As an ex-Christian, you have to be careful about judging yourself too harshly. Look, I, I, how, how old are you roughly? 24-ish. 24, okay. So um, be very, very careful about judging yourself too harshly. The, uh, Christians have a very, very tough time evaluating flaws in an objective manner, right? So, first of all, like, you are doing an incredible thing uh, overall for the planet. Like, I mean, I know it seems like maybe not that way for you at the moment, but uh, you are doing an absolutely incredible, noble, heroic, uh, incredible, wonderful, beautiful thing for the planet as a whole, right? So to question the the ethics of your family, to to look at values from a logical, scientific, and philosophical standpoint, to, to help drag mankind out of the medieval muck that we've been wallowing in for you know, 100,000 odd years, doing your part for that and, and what that is going to do in terms of you being a father, of you being a husband, of you being a friend, of you being a high quality human being, I'm telling you, uh, it is staggering, right? I mean, I, I didn't start until after I was 24 and sometimes I don't think it was probably many years until after I was 24. So I'm just blowing a huge amount of sunshine up your ass here because it's absolutely true that what you're doing here is an amazing, wonderful and beautiful thing. I would just say be very, very careful about jumping down on yourself, right? I mean, you were taught an enormous amount of false things by people who had total control over you, and you should cut yourself a lot of slack for that, I would say. And not, you know, if you've ended up with this um, opinion of women, it's because your mom kind of messed you up and then didn't own up to anything, right? So uh, i just, I just be very care- Give yourself some some gentleness and some kindness here to explore this without necessarily jumping to a big negative conclusion about yourself, if that makes sense. Oh, well, I'm always tender with myself in private, but <laughs> yes, I uh, I think I hear the fur glove moving as we speak. So <laughs> try chinchilla. Well, the, uh, that's fantastic.
5: yeah, you know that 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 kind of brings up a question about uh, you know the difference between self-deprecation and humility. Uh, we don't have to go in that, into that right now, if you don't want to. But it's uh, certainly something I, I would like to explore uh, later on, at least.
0: Yeah, well, that might be a good podcast topic. If you could post that on the board as a question, I will try and get to that this week. Sure thing. Well, listen, I I really really do hugely appreciate your openness with this. And uh, again, I, I you know be be uh, be be kind to yourself during this process. Be be forgiving, right? I mean, you're trying to crawl out of a hole, and uh, you're not going to get as far as, as as far as you can as quickly as you can if. Uh, if, you, if you were at all sort of, oh, my God, I'm such a terrible guy because of X, Y, and Z. You were very honest about the feelings that you had, and you can see the power of that honesty, right? So you posted on the board these feelings that you had towards women. And look, we've all been there. I mean, I was raised by a real witch, and uh, again, I'm trying not to project into where you are, so your decisions are obviously completely and totally final in this area, but uh, we've all been there. Women are sort of cold, manipulative, horrible people and so on. Uh, so there's nothing to feel bad about it's it's the honesty that you you brought to the conversation the honesty and rigor that you bring into this aspect of the conversation uh it's it's totally heroic and it probably doesn't feel like that at the moment but it absolutely will be uh something that pays off in a beautiful way
5: okay well that's something to certainly look forward to and uh, but thanks for your help i i really appreciate this oh anytime
0: brother i really appreciate your honesty All right, well, thank you. Uh, and uh, if we have, I guess we have time for one more question, if anybody has. Oh, one more question. Going once, going twice. Oh, we have a two hour show today, I think. That's not the end of the world. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, very much for dropping by today. I really appreciate it. And thank you again for the soul-bearing superheroes of Free Domain Radio and the boards and the emails. I really do uh, think that it is uh, fantastic uh, to have this uh, level of honesty. Uh, This is, uh, you know, do this. Don't go campaigning for Ron Paul. This is the way to do it. Thank you so much, everyone. And I will talk to you next week.